You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And why don't you go ahead and take out your teaching notes. Um, uh, Last weekend, uh, as we were looking at Ephesians chapter 4, we spent time um, just focusing on what it means to walk a walk worthy of the calling that we've received. What does it mean to walk a walk Uh, that's uh, worthy of all that we've been given by God through Jesus Christ. Uh, We spent a great deal of time last weekend um, focusing on cultivating healthy relationships. That wasn't the whole of the message, but we did spend a great bit of time there. And we looked at four qualities that Paul presents in Ephesians chapter 4 that are vital and necessary for cultivating healthy relationships. Well, this weekend, we're going to continue on in that theme of of healthy relationships. And we're going to do it by looking and focusing on three specific uh, kinds of relationships that Paul talks about. Last week, we acknowledged that God's work in our lives must change our understanding of who we are. In other words, as God works in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit, there should be something that's happening that we're coming to a greater and greater realization of who we are, that our identity is in Christ. But I want to add to that, that God's work in us must also change how we engage in the relationships that we encounter every day. Uh, As the Holy Spirit works in us, there should be a change in how how we live out those relationships. God's called us, God's will for us is that we would nurture and develop... Um, uh, healthy relationships that honor him and that would lead others into a Christ-focused kind of lifestyle. I I think you would probably all agree with me. uh, Does the quality of our relationships in life affect the quality of our lifestyle? Yeah, yeah. When, When relationships are going good, things seem to be better in life. When relationships are going bad, sometimes it can feel like uh, the entire world is, is kind of falling apart. So um, I want to just share a, a brief story to kind of set up Paul's theme for the message. Um, some of it's personal, some of it's not. Uh, for, for a number of years, Cammie and I had the opportunity to lead the uh, teams of high school and college age students into inner city London, uh, central London, for uh, an experience of urban missions and ministry. In fact, we did that for about nine years. And over those nine years, we were able to take more than uh, 200 students into the city, into central London to experience what it means to share the gospel in another culture in that urban setting. And it was just a a really great time. Um, uh, On the tail end of a couple of those trips... Uh, we were able to spend a very brief time in Paris. And when I say brief, I mean very brief, maybe like 36 hours, maybe. Uh, And that's quite a feat when you have 21 students that you're trying to guide through a city that you don't really know very well at all. Um, So while we were in, uh, on at least one occasion, while we were in Paris, we had the the opportunity, the privilege of visiting uh, the, the famous, the Louvre. And, and while we were in the Louvre, we had the, the opportunity to view what is maybe considered the most famous painting in the world, and that's the Mona Lisa. Um, over the centuries, there have been many artists who have replicated Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa. 
Um, there are still dozens of those replicas that exist uh, that date back to the 16th and 17th century uh, centuries. And while um, Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa has actually been declared as the most valuable painting in the world. It's insured for $100 million. All of those replicas, when they're compared to the value of the original painting, they're actually worthless. However, in 2012, there was one replica that surprised the art world. Um, it was uh, painted by an artist by the name of Prado. And the reason that it surprised the art world is it actually was given great historical value. And it was given great historical value because it's believed that Prado was actually a student of Leonardo da Vinci and that as he painted his replica of the Mona Lisa, that he was actually in the studio with Leonardo da Vinci painting his replica while Leonardo da Vinci was painting the original. And so what he was working to diligently do as he watched the master, he was, he was imitating, he was, he was trying to uh, imitate the techniques of this artist, Leonardo da Vinci, so that he could come up with a, a very similar painting. Yet in the end, it was a replica, but it's been given great historical value because of that. Typically, uh, when we think of imitations, we think of cheap knockoffs. We think of, of uh, imitations for most people uh, in, in a negative sense. However, this was not the case for Prado. Instead, he was painting alongside the master artist and he was copying every movement, every technique so that he could learn how to work like the master. And when we think about it, I tell that story because that's a perfect picture, I believe, of the theme that Paul lays out in Ephesians chapter 5 and a portion uh, of Ephesians chapter 6. We are called to follow the master's example. We are called to be imitators of God. And we see that from the onset in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Would you follow along as I read those two verses? Again, very plain English. It says, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way, follow God's example in everything you do because you are his dear children. In the J.B. Phillips Translation, it says it this way, as children copy their fathers, you as God's children are to copy him. So Paul's message is don't don't just talk the talk, but walk it out. This is to be your lifestyle. Let divine imitation be your way of life. Continually imitate the attitudes and the actions of God our Father. Continually imitate those actions. We're called to develop qualities and characteristics and behaviors that are Christ-like. And as it relates to relationships, the more we become like him, listen, the healthier our relationships are. That's just a fact. The more we become like him, the healthier our relationships are. And you might say, well, I'm kind of confused. Who do we imitate, God 
or do we imitate Jesus? Well, Scripture says that Jesus is the exact image of his Father. So if we're imitating Jesus, guess what? We're becoming like the Father. Well, as Paul continues on in this uh, this call to imitate God, he goes on to say, I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation, and I'm going to do this several times. I love how it's worded. It says, live a life filled with love for others, following the example of Christ who loved you and gave himself as a sacrifice to take away your sins. In, in, in other words, he's saying, live your life in love, but not just any love. J.B. Phillips again says it this way, the same sort of love which Christ gives us and which he perfectly expressed when he gave himself up for us in sacrifice to God. So he's talking about a sacrificial kind of love. That's how we're to live our lives in a, in a love style that is completely sacrificial. It's that, last week we talked about it, it's that agape love. Uh, that agape love is the unconditional, the sacrificial love. It's the kind of love that God is and that God shows. It's a supernatural love because it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. The only way we're able to live it out is to live it out through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as it relates to relationships, God is love. So in our relationships, we should love in the same way he did, sacrificially. Now, uh, just a, a, maybe a, a pause or a side note here. Um, we're focusing on relationships, but it's very important that we understand as a whole in the latter half of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is focusing generally on the behavior of the believer. Last week, as I closed out the message, I read to you verses 25 through 32, and it was there that we found that Paul presented a, a set of behaviors that are not to be part of the believer's lifestyle. In fact, he said, these, these behaviors were, are part of the Gentile unbelieving world. And he says, you no longer live that way. And so he says, uh, you, it, it, he, he prescribes for us, it was in verse 22, uh, a prescription for uh, what it means to walk worthy of our calling in Jesus Christ. And remember, it was just a simple two-step process that if, if we, I, we, we, we hear these uh, behaviors that he lays out and that if we identify after coming to relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if we identify any of these behaviors in our life, then we're supposed to take a step. And the step is that we take those behaviors off because they're unbecoming. They're not, they're not the, the, in the, within the Christ follower lifestyle. And we take another step and we put on Christ. We embrace to a greater degree our, our understanding of our identity in Christ. And that's a continual process that we do it over and over. Well, again, here in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 20, Paul does the very same. He, he identifies in very plain language a set of behaviors that are not to be associated with the Christ follower's life. Behaviors that if uh, we find them present in our lives, that we're supposed to do the same thing. We walk worthy of our calling by taking off those old behaviors. How do we do it? We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We take another step and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we embrace who we are in Christ. We embrace our understanding and we continue to do it. I want to read those verses to you and I'm pulling my phone out because I want to read them to you from the New Living Translation. I just like the way it's stated. Uh, you listen as I read. It says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, 
and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these things that people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces uh, only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. In verse 15, it says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because you will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week when I finished reading uh, verses 25 to 32, I just simply said, enough said. And I said that because it's very plain English. There are behaviors that are not supposed to be associated with the life of the Christ follower. Well, I say it again after reading these verses, enough said, because once again, in very plain English, Paul has laid out yet another set of behaviors that are not to be part of the believer's lifestyle. He's talked about things like sexual sin, Greed, ungodly conversation, idolatry, foolish living, drunkenness, and generally living in darkness and emptiness. And when we think about relationships, it's so important that these aren't part of our lifestyle because these behaviors can affect relationships. Do you agree with that? Have you seen that in life? These behaviors can actually destroy relationships. These behaviors can create dysfunctional relationships. These, uh, these behaviors can cause a person to feel dead inside. In verse 8, we learn that God has provided us with light through Jesus uh, to live by. So we should live in the light and avoid activities that destroy relationships. In verse 15, Paul said, be careful how you live. Don't live as fools, but live like those uh, who are wise. Uh, in, in, in the week one, uh, actually week two, we looked at the latter part of Ephesians chapter one in Paul's prayer. And he says, I pray that you have a spirit of wisdom and understanding. And we can know that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been given that spirit of wisdom and understanding. And because of that, we can, with wisdom, determine from the word how we're supposed to live our lives and determine what needs to be taken off and what needs to be put on in order, as it relates to relationships, to nurture healthy relationships. When we look at verse 21... In Ephesians chapter 5, we see that Paul makes this transition where he begins to talk about three specific types of relationships. He talks about the marriage relationship. He talks about family relationships. And he talks about vocational relationships. Let me go ahead and say this. Um, 
based on the time that we have available and based on the depth and the richness of what Paul writes, we're really not going to be able to dig too deep. And, and we're, we're going to kind of do a flyover of this and, and, and see just to get the general idea of what Paul's talking about. Because here's the truth. Each one of those relationships are not only worthy of their own message, but each one of them could be their own series. So, so we're going to at least, what is, what is it Paul's talking about? Well, Paul sets a general tone for these relationships in verse 21. Look at chapter 5, verse 21. It just simply says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the general tone that Paul is setting for all of our relationships uh, is that all of our relationships are to be lived out in submission to one another. That word submit. That word submit, boy, over the, probably the, since history, since the word's been created, that word can provoke a lot of negative uh, responses, a lot of emotions. And so often they're negative responses that were unintended. It's never intended uh, at the heart of, of the scripture. Paul is not promoting a mentality that says, I lead, therefore you do what I say. You bow down to me. He's not creating or promoting a mentality that says, as leader, you owe me. And so you must pay me what I believe is due me. Instead, it has to do with sensitivity to others and a willingness to, in humility, get along. That's what's to pervade all of our relationships, sensitivity to others and a willingness to, in humility, get along. It's the opposite of self-assertion. It's the opposite of an independent self-ruling spirit. Instead, it means to yield to and to serve to one another out of love. Uh, This is the mindset, again, that's to pervade all of our relationships. So how does that translate? How does this submission, how does this, uh, how does it translate into our, our marriage relationships. Well, it's all about mutual submission. Um, I, I, I'd like to share a, another story uh, again. This one's a little bit more personal. Um, uh, some years ago, Cammie and I had, she never knows what story I'm going to tell. So she's like, <laughs> which one is this? I, for, I forget to clear them before. Um, you'll be okay with this one, I think. Uh, <clears throat> I think. Uh, some years ago, we had the opportunity to take a ballroom dance class. <laughs> oh, that story. And um, uh, because of my lack of coordination, we weren't very successful. She was very successful. Um, but on the other hand, I just couldn't get the simple, even the forced box step, you know, box step. I just, you know, and um, uh, we, we learned, we learned a lot of things about marriage uh, through, we did, honestly, we learned a lot of things about marriage through those ballroom dance classes. Um, there were times that there was a struggle between us and, um, there were a few, uh, minor arguments, but not as compared to some of the other couples. Uh, I remember one, one, uh, Shauna just breaking out in tears and, and leaving. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's like, what is this worth it? But the, 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 we learned some valuable lessons. So uh, how many of you have taken ballroom dance in any way form? Okay, just us. I can, oh, you good guys. Okay, I was going to say, I can say anything I want to right now, then you will know. Um, what, what, we, what we learned is that in ballroom dance, um, the male as the leader uh, is to step up and take a stance of leadership. 
And as the, as the male steps up and takes that stance of leadership, he creates a, a, a place where the female can step in to that, that place. And then as they, um, as they join together in that stance, the, the, the male gently places his hand on the lower portion of the female's back. And as the music starts with very gentle movements, uh, uh, they begin to, he, he leads, but they are actually moving around the dance floor. I can't even do this. Moving around the dance floor very gracefully in mutual submitted movements to one another. It's true that the male is leading, but they're working together. And we saw that as a great picture uh, of marriage. So think about it. So, um, let me read some verses to you before I talk about this anymore. Uh, let me read to you uh, beginning in verse 22. Um, Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so the wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Listen to this. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as, uh, as he loves and respects the wife. He must... Uh, let me read that last again. Um, it must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So what Paul is setting up here is uh, he's comparing uh, the marriage to the church in that God has um, uh, ordained, God has positioned Jesus Christ as the head of the church. And so as believers, we submit to the head. Jesus Christ is our Lord. Well, in the same way, he says, just as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of, in the home. And, and so we have to understand it that way. But all throughout those verses, there's mutual submission that we see. He's not just saying, wives, submit to your husbands. But he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love your wives in the same way that you love and you care for yourself. So how do I compare this to dance, you're wondering? Well, marriage, uh, if we look at the scripture and compare marriage to a dance, what the scripture is telling us is that the husband as the head is to step up, has to take his role of leadership and create a stance of leadership. And it's a stance that's created that makes it easy for the wife to step in and take her role. And then what happens is in the music of marriage, this couple begins to move gracefully through marriage, mutually submitting to one another. An interesting thing, and I think this happens in marriage, is as Cammie and I were in the ballroom dance classes, there was a fight for who was going to lead. <laughs> 
Can you, can you literally believe she, she did it better? Well, so let me take it a step further. When I wasn't leading in the dance as I should, guess what she did? She stepped up and she led. And that's often what happens in marriage, right? Oftentimes, we as husbands, we don't step up and take our leadership stance. We don't love our wives as, as Christ loved the church. So what does the wife do? She says, well, if you're not going to lead, I am. But Paul's painting a picture. And I, 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 for me personally, this is a great way to, to see marriage is that it is a mutual dance. Yes, the husband is leading because he's been uh, designated as the head, but he's not lording it over his wife. There is mutual submission. He's loving his wife in the same way that he loves his body, in the same way that Christ has loved the church. Paul goes on to say, this is all about a picture of the church. This is Christ in the church. And so what we have to understand is that uh, Paul isn't promoting that the husband become the dictator in the family. And he's not saying, wives, you're, you're destined to, to, to a life of servitude. Instead, he's saying in all of our relationships and here in marriage, we live out the marriage relationship in mutual submission to one another. Husbands, when you and I will love and cherish our wives in the same way that we love and cherish ourselves and in the same way that Christ loves and cherishes us as the church, uh, we nurture in marriage an atmosphere that makes it easy for the wife to love us and respect us and follow our leadership. But it's all about mutual submission. We're never lording ourselves. Oh, again, I'm going to say God's not calling the husband to dictatorship nor the wife to servitude. It's about recognizing God's order for the home. Um, uh, let's move on to the second type of relationship. And I'm not going to spend much time on these two. I'll be really honest. Um, the second type of relationship is the family relationship. Listen as I read uh, chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that may, you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So you see that mutuality there? Basically, Paul's saying um, uh, to, to the children, to, to the parents, um, Parents, don't use your authority to exasperate your children. Instead, encourage them and build them up. But, but to, the, to the children, honor and obey your parents. Submit to their instruction and leadership. And again, we could, do, we could do a seminar on this. We could do series on this. There's so much more here as there is in marriage. But finally, the final type of relationship that Paul focuses on is we're, we're calling it the vocational relationship. Let me read to you verses 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, do doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. So again, you see mutuality in there, subjecting to one another. Obviously, 
Paul was writing in a time where slavery was very predominant. And we don't live in that era, uh, that kind of slavery now. So we, to best understand this for us, how do we live this out in life? We translate it into uh, an employee-employer uh, relationship. And it would simply mean employers should be equitable and honest in their relationship with employees. And employees should respect their employees and do their work as unto the Lord. Um, again, there's so much that could be said about all of this. And here's the great thing. It doesn't end here. I believe that you're all students of the word and that you have the ability now to go home and say, I want to know more about what Paul is saying in these verses. And so in your personal, private study and devotional time, you can dig into these verses and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me through your word. Teach me so that I can take off any behaviors that are not becoming to Christ followers and I can put on my identity in Christ. And we have to remember that in general, that's what Paul's talking about in this last half of Ephesians 4. He's talking about our behavior as a believer, walking worthy of the calling that we've received. So every day, and we talked about this last week, we have to be in the process of looking to the Word Letting the word be a mirror. And as we look in the mirror, we see our reflection. And we identify through the power of the Holy Spirit what needs to be taken off so that we can put on Christ. And that continues on and on and on throughout our lifetime. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? I want to pray for you. Father, thank you that you... Um, love us so much that you gave your only son for us so that we could have eternal life and forgiveness of our sin and we could have relationship with you. Father God, we've been learning of all that you've given us through Jesus Christ and that our identity is in Christ. Father God, I pray that you would help us to continually examine ourselves and identify those behaviors that are associated with life before Christ and through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to take them off so that we can put on who we are in Christ. I pray that this be the continual process and the desire of all of our hearts. Father God, we present ourselves to you today. We say we surrender, we need you, and we want you. We want your change in our life. And everyone who agrees said, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.